audio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ with minister Chris Palmer. Bernie Church of Christ meets for worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. You can find Bernie Church of Christ at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. Now, with today's message, here's Minister Chris Palmer. I have this uh, really special collection that I'm, I'm very proud of. Uh, it is a uh, collection of, of portraits uh, from 1957, and I call this collection my apostolic glamour shots. Uh, here's what it is. It is a complete set of artist renderings of the uh, apostles of Jesus and Jesus himself. And and this collection was found in the back closet of some old Sunday school classroom years ago somewhere else. And and the person who found them said, I know who I need to give these to. And I have held and cherished this collection uh, for many years. Um, I'll warn you, they're, they're all really well done, uh, but they are far from historically or culturally accurate. Each one of them tries to reflect that apostle that's pictured uh, in some way that uh, represents their story or their character that we see in Scripture, but I don't always understand the connection that the artist was trying to make. And they try to give us an image to hold on to in our minds as, as we read through gospel stories but I'll be honest, sometimes I just think they're really funny. So I would like to share five of my favorite apostolic glamour shots with you this morning. And the first one is Thomas. <clears throat> Throw that up there. Here we have Thomas. Thomas, obviously, you can see on his face and in the surroundings, he's, he's haunted by, by doubt and skepticism. That, that's kind of the character that, that Thomas is, is often kind of stereotyped with. There's lots of shadows and concern on his face. It, it wasn't until I, I made these slides and, and blew them up this big that it, it actually looks like he has, uh, I think that's a, like a bowl of ribs uh, in front of him. So he, Thomas is, is doubting, but he also gets to eat some ribs. So that's good. Next, you have Simon the Zealot. So Zealots, if you don't know, uh, Zealots are this kind of sneaky group of rebels. They are passionate uprisers. I have no idea why he looks so peaceful and wise. I have no idea why he has a lamb. That is not what really the character of a zealot really is supposed to look like. Here's one of my favorites, Judas Iscariot. Judas obviously looking uh, a a little disheveled, Um, obviously uh, plagued by his inner demons and his very conflicted spirit. He looks kind of jumpy and on edge, you can imagine. But here is hands down the best one, Philip. Oh, yeah. All right. Here we have Philip. He is joyful and cheerful. And Philip, he's just looking smooth, right? Philip just looks smooth. He is the only one of the apostles with like that big toothy smile I don't know what's going on with Philip, but he is happy about something. I like Philip. Then we come to Peter. Here's Simon Peter. Yeah. So, so Peter's a fisherman, right? So he, it looks like he's holding a boat oar, so that I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, of all the portraits, uh, Simon Peter is like the buffest looking of all of them. Like he's, He looks pretty strong. I, I guess that makes sense. I have no idea why he has red hair. I don't. I guess that's important. So he's got red hair. 
He looks confident and bold, doesn't he? And if you're familiar with the stories of Peter, I mean, that's a good, a pretty good, accurate representation of, of Peter's character. He's very confident and bold a lot of times throughout his stories. If you read through the New Testament, Peter comes up a lot. Well, actually, uh, sometimes he's named Peter. Uh, sometimes he's called Simon. That's his original name. Sometimes he's called Cephas, sometimes Simeon, sometimes Simon Peter, sometimes Simon Bar-Jonah, all the same guy. Simon is a unique New Testament character because we get to know him really well. He is certainly one of the most talked about apostles. He has two epistles that are accredited to him, and he's counted within that inner circle of Jesus' three closest followers, Peter, James, and John. But red hair and boat oars aside, who was Peter? Who was Peter really? What was he like? What was it that uh, Jesus saw in Peter? Why is so much written about him? What did Jesus see in him? What was special about his relationship with Jesus? And how can we relate to Peter as Jesus related to him? And to answer some of those questions, we start at the beginning in Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can go over to Luke chapter 5 this morning, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little ways from land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, this is a special scene in a lot of ways. First, where it takes place. This is the Lake of Gennesaret, or more commonly known as the Sea of Galilee. This is a large body of water that all around it is, is dotted with little towns and settlements all along the banks. And the fact that Jesus is teaching here is special. It says something about him and his mission. This is early on in his ministry, and Jesus is establishing himself, not as a teacher or a religious authority who hides in synagogues and temples, but one who is out in the world among the people, not just high society or the religious elite, but everyday folks, upper, middle, and lower class, insiders and outsiders. You see, in the synagogue, there is a certain level of control. It is a familiar location with exclusive rules about who can go in and who can go out. But that's not always Jesus' style. Outdoors, or by the lake, or on the hillside, or in the field, or on the road, anything can happen. Anybody can walk up and shout out and interrupt and participate. It is chaotic, and it's a little risky. But that's where Jesus wants to be, with the people, as a figure in their everyday lives, someone who knows them and sees them and understands them. And so here Jesus is by the lake, and he's got a crowd, and they are pressing in against him. Why? It says to hear the word of God. Now, sometimes Jesus gets swamped by a big crowd of people who are demanding uh, performance. Give us food. Show us a sign. Do this miracle or that miracle. 
We love you. We're seeking you. We're following you. But really, we just want to be entertained by you. Go check out John chapter 6. Jesus has a really nasty uh, run-in with some fair-weather fans who just want a show from him. Peter has a really cool line uh, in that story, verse 68. Go check it out sometime this week. But that's not what's going on here in Luke chapter 5. Here, the people are there just because they want to hear the word of God. They want to hear Jesus' teaching, his words, his interpretation, and application of Scripture. There is a relationship between Jesus and God that the people can sense and appreciate even if they don't fully understand it. They crave his wisdom and his truth, his gentleness, his clarity, and his authority. And that connection that the people are sensing is through the profound, mysterious, and powerful words of God that Jesus is sharing with them. Now, maybe the crowd is getting to be a bit too much for Jesus. Maybe he just needs a little space so he can catch his breath. Or or maybe he wants to get in the boat so he can address a larger audience. But I think there's something more going on than that. A deeper reason for getting into some guy's boat. Simon Peter was off to the side, was washing out his nets, and Jesus climbs aboard and asks Simon to push out a little bit further so he can teach from there. And for whatever reason, Simon Peter goes along with it. Verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he, Jesus, said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. Jesus is done. He's finished teaching. The crowd is beginning to disperse. And then I imagine kind of this little awkward moment. Because here Jesus is, still sitting in the boat, done talking. They're a little ways away from the beach. And there's Peter, trapped in the boat with him. It's kind of like that feeling. You ever give somebody a ride, and then you make it to their destination, and like they should get out of the car, but they're not? Like That's kind of what I imagine going on here. Jesus is done preaching. There's, there's no reason to be there anymore, except for Peter. He still has something to say and do with Peter. And he says, let's go fishing. So Peter speaks honestly and, he, and, and openly. Maybe he's a little disappointed. Maybe he's a little embarrassed. We fished and worked hard all night long, and we failed. We didn't catch anything. But for some reason, Peter goes along with it. He says, Master, at your word, I will let down the nets. There's this compliance in Peter. I admit he seems hesitant, yet still, for whatever reason, curious. This didn't work last night. I don't know why it's going to work today. See, nighttime was the better time for this kind of fishing and in this location. The conditions were worse than when Peter had gone fishing the night before. But also, look at the crew. Who is on the boat? From what we can tell, it's just Jesus and Peter. They hardly have enough hands to go fishing. And what was Peter doing right before Jesus got in? He was washing his nets. He was done. He was closing up shop. He's tired. He's struck out. He's ready to go home. But Peter goes along with it. Jesus, if you say so, I'll give it a shot. Verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. 
They signal to their partners, it's Andrew, James, and John, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. The catch of fish is so miraculously huge that Peter can't handle it alone. I imagine Jesus probably not just sitting there. He's probably helping Peter as well, but they still need more hands, or at least they need more witnesses. So they call to Peter's partners, and they come out also. And I'm not sure how long it took them to get there, but they're out in the deep, and nobody has a motorboat. So Jesus and Peter are probably struggling and wrestling and scrambling for a considerable amount of time. And I love this line from William Barclay. He says, there's a spirit that will make an effort. If Jesus said it, tired as he was, Peter was prepared to try again. For most people, the disaster of life is that they give up just one effort to soon. You're listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. The Bernie Church of Christ is located at 1 Upper Balconies Road, right next to Starbucks. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ for online or in-person worship each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Now, with the rest of today's message, here's Minister Chris Palmer. Maybe this is a spirit within Peter that was inspired by Jesus. Maybe it's just who he was. But either way, we'll see at his lowest moments, Peter is willing to give it another try. Maybe he's a gambler, kind of a risk taker kind of guy, you know? Maybe he is tenaciously stubborn. Maybe he is hopelessly optimistic. Maybe he is recklessly faithful. Maybe a little bit of all of it. And so they're out in the boat, and their nets are tearing, and the boats are sinking. So they call for help, and help gets out there, and they fill up both boats. But now they have a problem, right? They're sinking under the great weight of their success. So what do you do? You have a couple options. You can let some of the fish go, or you can make a break for land and hope that you make it in time before you drown. That's a good idea. You could call and yell and see if anybody else can come out and help you. These are all good ideas, but none of that is what Peter does. Instead, his impulsivity takes over, and he drops everything. Verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. If you're imagining this story as, as, as we go along, I wonder, what tone of voice do you hear, do you assign to Peter here? Is he stern? Is he almost angry or demanding? Is his voice quivering with fearful humility? Is he in tears? Is he breathless and barely squeaking out the words, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord? What an odd and surprising thing to say. While crowds have been pressing in around Jesus, here Peter is with a special, intimate audience with Jesus, and he says, I need to be left alone. Some people come to Jesus demanding a performance. Some come to hear the word of God, but Peter wants some space. That's so unusual, but somehow relatable. 
You see, Peter is unclean. He recognizes that there is a holiness in Jesus. Of course he does, right? He sees Jesus do miracles, and he teaches the word of God with great authority. Peter even addresses him as master and then later Lord. And as a holy man of God, Jesus should not be interacting with sinners with whom Peter identifies. Doing so by the practices of the time would make Jesus unclean by association. Peter's desire for, dis for, for distance from Jesus could be, in a way, somewhat respectful. He wants to protect Jesus. Peter doesn't want his sin to somehow rub off on Jesus and sully Jesus' growing and good reputation. Also, Peter is disqualified. Starting at a young age, like all boys at the time, Peter would have had the opportunity to grow up to be a rabbi's disciple. But since he's a fisherman, we can assume that he was turned down. He didn't make the cut. He wasn't good enough. He wasn't desired. He was, for whatever reason, unworthy. That ship has sailed. Peter has already been rejected. And his sense of usefulness is distorted and conditional. I cannot be used by God since I am this broken. And he's locked in on fishing. This is what he's going to do. But Jesus' miracle disrupts all of that. Even though, of course, it is good for business, Peter recognizes that there's something more to this miracle than just catching a lot of fish. It is the hand of God reaching in and messing with his personal life. And that level of closeness and intimacy with God is something that Peter, apparently, is not ready for. This is different. This isn't Jesus just preaching to a big crowd of people. This is singular. It is zoomed in on Peter. It is you. It is just you. Not just one more face in the crowd. And so I wonder if Peter wanted to hide. He's unclean. He's disqualified from religious work. He's aware of his own sinfulness. I wonder if he sees Jesus as a judge or an accuser. Doesn't want anybody to look too closely at his personal record. You know, this actually isn't the first time that Peter and Jesus have met. If you look one chapter up higher, chapter 4, verse 38, Jesus has actually been to Peter's house before. He healed uh, Simon Peter's mother-in-law in Simon Peter's house. It's, it's almost like Jesus is following him. First, Jesus is at my house. Now, Jesus is in my boat. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Leave me alone. If you really knew me, you wouldn't want me. You know, we see something similar in the prophet Isaiah when he first responds to God's call of service. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Isaiah says, And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is confronted with the truly awesome glory of God, and he compares that with his own shame-filled inadequacy. I am doomed before a perfect and almighty God. But God wanted Isaiah, and so he makes a way to make him clean, to clear him, and to qualify him. An angel speaks to Isaiah, verse 7, and says, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. 
see something else in the prophet Daniel, something very similar. Daniel has a vision and a conversation with God. He falls on his face. He is trembling and he is terrified. He can only speak and stand by divine help. He is so afraid and in awe. But he is strengthened and he is encouraged. And a voice speaks to him saying, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. Daniel, you are beloved. You are worthy and you are mine. Fear not. You're my guy. So here, in similar fashion as with Isaiah and Daniel, Peter says, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. And Jesus says to him, verse 10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Peter, you are beloved. I say, you are worthy. You are mine. Fear not, you are my guy. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Jesus called to Peter to come and follow, to be a disciple of a rabbi, an opportunity that had long passed him by. But even with his sin, Jesus did not consider Peter to be disqualified. He could come and join Jesus and fish for men, to join Jesus and help Jesus go and find lost souls and bring them back home to God. Peter's sin made him unclean. And holy, man, holy men cannot be friends with sinners, or they will be unclean by association. And so you know what Jesus does next, what the very next story is that's recorded that we see Jesus do? He, he runs into this guy who has this contagious, unclean skin disease. This guy should be isolated. He should be distanced from all of the population, but only in the company of other unfortunates just like him. And Jesus heals him, and he does it by reaching out and touching him with his hand. And I imagine Peter took note of that, that Jesus' reputation did not need Peter's protection, that Jesus is not worried about the unclean, that Jesus isn't an accuser, he's a healer and a friend, that Jesus is not scared of sin or sinful people. Maybe that's why he's here in the first place. Maybe that's why Jesus said to Peter, do not be afraid, as if to say, do not be afraid of me. Peter is a wild character. There's a ton of amazing little stories between uh, Jesus and Peter, just these amazing little snapshots that reveal his, uh, his personality. And these stories, they're real and they're relatable. I look at Peter and I, I can see a lot of him in myself. But none of these stories are really about Peter. These are stories about Jesus. How does Jesus relate to him? How does Jesus relate to us? Who was Jesus really? What mattered to him? What still matters to him? And in every story, Peter has this moment of awe, this flash of clear vision into the heart of God that brings him to his knees and makes his relationship with God through Jesus all the more real and indispensable. So over the next several weeks, I want to look together at those moments. 
those eye-opening episodes that changed Peter's heart forever, where Jesus reaches into his life and messes with everything, always for the better, always with great love and great mercy. You know, I don't know what I would have done if I were Peter in this situation. I don't know if I would have let Jesus in my boat to begin with, uh, or taken him fishing, or left everything and gone to follow him. But I can understand feeling unclean and unworthy and just wanting to hide. So aware of my own faults and failings that it seems impossible that God could do anything good with me. Peter was in awe of Jesus. He no longer saw the big catch or his sinking boat or his struggling friends or everything that he leaves behind. It's just Jesus, singular, locked in focus. I've had some moments like that. I bet many of you have had moments like that too. That blinding flash of total awe and amazement of the God who would want me even when I don't want myself. And if you don't know that God, I pray that you keep searching until you find one another. You may have to go out a little deeper. You may have to try just one more time. You may have to try a thousand more times. But my hope and my prayer is that you don't give up just one effort too soon. Thank you for listening to the radio ministry of the Bernie Church of Christ. You can join the Bernie Church of Christ here on Bernie Radio each Sunday at 11 a.m. or for worship online or in person each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. To learn more about the Bernie Church of Christ, please visit BernieChurchOfChrist.org or call 830-249-2685. That is 830-249-2685. Thank you once again for listening to the Bernie Church of Christ.